0: Well, welcome to Auckland EV. My name's Rowan, I'm one of the pastors here at EV, and I so appreciate you letting us into your lounge room, into your bubble, uh, wherever you are. We're living through a moment that will be written about in the history books for centuries to come. Documentaries will retell the story of 2020, the time that the world shut down, and you'll be telling your grandkids about what it was like to live through and what happened as a result. Well, as we sit here today in the midst of this global pandemic, It's so easy to be overwhelmed by the weight of it all, our freedom restricted, our health at risk, our finances insecure, our future uncertain. It's easy to dwell on the weight of all that's happening and all that's to come and be consumed by it all. But I want to put it to you today that there is a far greater historical moment that ought to be capturing our hearts and minds this week, that has even greater implications for you and for me than any present danger. It's The most significant event in the history of the universe. But for so many of us, it passes us by without much more than a cursory thought. Could it be that the claims of Jesus of Nazareth and the events etched into history that we now call Easter could have a far more profound effect on you and me than our present crisis? Whatever your view of Jesus, whatever your take on religion and faith is, I want to invite you to come with me today and and see for yourself why 2.2 billion people on the face of the earth consider Jesus of Nazareth to be the most important person in human history and why they see him as the most relevant person for you and for me here and now in this present crisis. Over the past two months, we've been looking as a church at the historical account of the life of Jesus called the Gospel of John. It really is one of the closest documents we can get to the life and times of Jesus, written by one of his closest friends and accepted by those who were there at the time to be a true and accurate account of the events of the first century. Not only does John's gospel outline the events around the life and times of Jesus, but John shows us the significance of these events. At Auckland EV, we're not interested in mere nice ideas or comforting myths. We're interested in what actually happened that Easter. And one of the responsibilities I've got being a father of four children is the task of working out what actually happened. Seriously, the other day I walked into a crime scene of a bedroom to find one of our little juvenile delinquents, as some might call them, (laughs) using unnecessary force to bring about the plans and purposes that they wanted to see happen. Now, it seemed clear to me as I walked into this uh, crime scene that one was standing over the bed, pinning the other down, face red with rage, and the other laid still. And I thought it looked like a open and shut case, I knew exactly what was going on. But then I looked closely, and the innocence worn on the victim's face that was pinned down on the bed was like the innocence of a soccer player. You know, the one who's just won the foul, that part pain, part self-satisfied satisfied optimism. It wasn't until I ran a three-part interview process that the truth came out. The clear-cut crime I'd walked into was merely a wrong issue. It was merely not just wrong, but it was clearly provoked by someone else. Other crimes against humanity had been going on undetected for hours in that bedroom and I'd walked in to see that. Yes, he responded wrongly, but it was provoked. What's the moral of this story? Events are often not what they first seem. So come with me and take another look at the events of the cross as told by John, one of Jesus' closest friends. At first glance, the crucifixion of Jesus seems like a tragic event. A man who seems to be a model of morality comes head to head with religious power and politics and tragically he dies. That's what it seems like. But John shows there's more than just a tragic mistake happening here. This is the culmination of a plan hatched before history began. The first thing I want to show you today is the innocence of Jesus. The Jewish leaders have brought Jesus to Pilate, who was Caesar's representative in Judea. The Jewish leaders hated Jesus. They hated his miracles. They hated his followers. They hated not being in control. They wanted the power. They wanted to call the shots. But Jesus came in and started doing these things that took away the power from them. So they take him to Pilate. They betray him. They ask for him to kill, making up some story that he's crossed some law. But the thing to note is the innocence of Jesus. Come with me. Have a look at John 19, verse 4. It says this, Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Or verse 6, When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves since I find no grounds for charging him. But the Jews replied in verse 7, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Pilate, he can find no charge against Jesus. Jesus is spotless. Look at verse 12 of chapter 19. From that moment, John tells us, Pilate kept trying to release Jesus. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And that did it for Pilate. The Jews here played the political joker, the trump card in in the game of politics. See, Pilate can't look to side with Jesus over the emperor. And anyone who claims to be a king without the emperor's authority is certainly challenging the emperor. So out of not wanting to cause issues with the emperor and knowing that the Jewish feast of the Passover was about to start, so they wouldn't want to do anything from sundown that evening, Pilate shoves Jesus back in the face of the Jews and says, Here's your king. You deal with him. Verse 15, they shout back, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered then that he handed them over to be crucified. And they took Jesus away. See, Jesus was innocent, a seeming victim of a political arm wrestle. But there's actually more going on here. He is innocent, yes, but he is no victim. This was part of his plan from the very beginning. In John chapter 12, Jesus had told his disciples that the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Then he says this in verse 24. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Now Mark records even more clearly in chapter 9 verse 31 of his account of the life of Jesus. For Jesus was teaching his disciples and telling them the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after he's killed, they'll rise again three days later. This was Jesus' plan. And understand why you need to understand the context of what's called the Passover. The context of the Passover. These events are all happening on the evening of what's called the Passover. Passover. Now, the Passover was a yearly event that the Jews celebrated, remembering what happened as God took them out of Egypt in the 13th century BC. And to investigate this properly, to understand Jesus' death, you've got to understand this Passover. God's people had been slaves back then, 1300 BC, by the Egyptians under harsh slavery for about 400 years, when they called out to God to save them, to bring about his promises, to make them into a special people that was his own. So God brought his judgment on the Egyptians. There were all sorts of plagues, water turned into blood, boils on their skin, frogs, locusts, gnats, flies, darkness, all sorts of things happened. The death of livestock. God was showing Egypt who the real superpower was. And he was punishing them for not treating him as the true and living God. Then, in the final play, God brought the death of every firstborn male in every house. It was horrific. People were weeping and wailing because of the death that went on. And the only way to escape that judgment was to do what God had told Moses in the first lockdown that the Bible ever records. They had to stay in the house and they had to do something with the blood of an animal. Come with me to Exodus 12, verse 5. It says this, You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male, and you must take it from either the sheep or the goats you were to keep it until the 14th day of the month, then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. And from verse 22, take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lintel, the, door, the two doorposts, with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. And when the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you there they were none of them could go out of the house till morning in lockdown why because it wasn't just egypt that deserved god's judgment this festival of the passover helped israel remember that we all deserve god's judgment you notice if the blood of a lamb had not been smeared on the doorposts or if the people to walk outside their house they were dead So there's a problem here, not just with the Egyptians, but with the Israelites as well and and every other human being like you and me. When God's judgment comes, none of us can stand. No one can be unaffected before Him. Now to you and me today, I've got to admit, that just sounds weird, doesn't it? We naturally think we're not that bad a person. I'm pretty good. I try and do good things. But I want to put it to you today that all of us in some way, shape or form are ashamed of something. We all cover up what others might see of ourselves in our lives. We've we've all got things that we've said or done that we're ashamed of. It wasn't always that way. If you go back to Genesis 2, when God made Adam and Eve, they were both naked and, and felt no shame. They had nothing to hide, no need to control what people saw of them. But the minute they turned their back on God, the minute they decided they were going to be their own bosses, they, they didn't need God, that they wanted to determine, determine what is good and right, well, they immediately needed to cover up and fig leaves to cover up themselves and hide away things that they, they thought they needed to hide. Friends, that's just like us today, isn't it? All of us have got something to hide. And if there is a God, and I think there is, and He made us and sustains us, and if He sees all and knows all about you and me, then we both carry shame before him. None of us have treated him as we deserve. I haven't. You haven't. None of us have. We don't even keep up with our own standards, let alone God's. That's why so many of us work so hard. That's why some of us are such perfectionists. That's why some of us are so obsessed with how we look. It's why some of us are obsessed with replaying old memories and nursing old grudges. If it weren't for her, then this wouldn't have happened. Or if you'd have had my father, you'd have done the same. You know what all those things are? The grudges, the beauty we seek, the work, the success, the perfectionism. They're all fig leaves. They're all things we trial and pile on to cover ourselves up from the reality of who we actually are before others. And I want to put it to you that we do that before God as well. We think that we're good people. We don't murder. We don't lie too much. We try and do what's right. But deep down, we're all covering up what we're all ashamed of. We know that if people really saw us, our thoughts and motivations, they'd be disgusted. Let alone if God saw us, if He saw our everything and the way we treat Him. And so as we come to the God of the universe, we recognize that all of us deserve judgment because all of us have stuff we need to cover up before Him. We all have sins that need to be passed over or dealt with. And the Passover, this festival that the Jews are on the eve of celebrating, was a celebration of that event when God passed over the sins of what people had done, the consequences from turning their back on God. And the angel of death passed over their houses so the oldest firstborn male didn't die. See, the Passover showed that the consequences for rejecting God are dire death and judgment. But for those that trust in God's word through Moses, those that trust that a lamb could die instead of them, They were saved. God took the penalty out on that innocent lamb in the great substitution. The lamb for them. The lamb took it for the guilty human. The moral of the story is someone had to die. You reject the God who gives life, then we don't deserve life. Now that gives you an idea of the consequences of rejecting God. All of us deserve to die. But do you see the implications here? Firstly, the Passover shows us there's no innocent party. All are deserving of death. But secondly, no one person could stand unaffected that night apart from the blood of a lamb. That night, God saved everyone who trusted in His word through Moses and the blood of an innocent lamb. And then God, the next morning, took Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, saved them and made them into His own people in the second greatest escape the world has ever seen. That's why the Jews celebrated the Passover because it was the night God passed over their sin and shame and took the death of another, an innocent lamb in their place. Now, understanding that context is incredibly important for understanding why Jesus is more important than anything else in this world, even this lockdown. You see, as Jesus comes on the scene in John's gospel, listen to how John introduced him way back in chapter one. Do you remember? He said this, the next day. John saw Jesus coming toward him and called out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, the Passover was never really about the death of a lamb in the place of a sinner, but it pointed forward to the greatest escape ever the death of God the Son in the place of you and I, that we could escape the consequences for what we have done toward our God. See, Jesus' death, it was his plan from the beginning to come and die in our place, it was no mistake. To be stripped naked so he might cover our nakedness and shame. To be nailed to a cross and shamed so that he might take the shame you and I deserve. That's why Jesus came. And the context of the Passover give us the context of the true identity of Jesus. See, he is God become flesh. He's the king that the Old Testament looked forward to. The lamb of God who would come and die in our place. This is no mistake But the plan of the God of the universe to save the world from their sins, to offer you and me forgiveness. He did it all so that the scriptures might be fulfilled, that what God the Father promised, God the Son would carry out. So as you look with me through this section of John's Gospel, you see the irony everywhere. The Jews and Pilate grasping at authority when Jesus is in control of every moment. The ridicule that Jesus is the king when he's the king above every king, everyone wanting to, wanting to put him to death, when he's willingly laying down his life for them all, for us, for you. I hope it's not an ironic moment for you today, where you walk away from hearing what Jesus has done, ignoring that he's done it for you. That this is about dealing with our sin and brokenness, about our relationship with God, This is about you and me. This is phenomenally important. This is more important than anything else the world has ever seen. Then, John 19 verse 30, Jesus cries out the greatest three words ever, It is finished. He's done what he's come to do. He dies in the place of sinners. The innocent Lamb of God gives his life for us. His life isn't taken from him, did you notice? but he gave up his spirit. He is in control. On that cross, Jesus was doing the most amazing thing ever, taking what you and I deserve, death, the judgment of God in our place. No one else has ever done that for me. Who's ever loved you so much that they'd be willing to take the punishment you deserve before God on your behalf? I want to put before you today that this event is incredibly relevant for you and for me. John tells us he recorded these things so that you, the reader of John, so that you, the listener to this message, might believe, might trust, might put your life in his hands. In verse 35, John records, He who saw this, and he's talking about himself, has testified so that you also may believe. And his testimony is true, and he knows he's telling the truth. We live at a time when all the pillars that we stand on are crumbling around us health and wealth, freedom and security. And all these things, they're just cover-ups, fig leaves for what you and I really need. <laughs> See, the only way to deal with our sin and shame is not to cover it up, but to have someone deal with the consequences for us. And that is what Jesus has done. He has died in our place. He's taken what we deserve so we can stand forgiven by God. That's why Easter is so amazing. That's why this message of what Jesus has done is so important because no sickness can take what Jesus has done from us. No financial crash can take away his death in my place. The person who trusts in Jesus' death in their place, who trusts that he is their king and he's the king over everything, the person who trusts that he's coming back again and puts their life in his hands has nothing to hide. He's seen it all. He's paid the price for it all. It is finished. Imagine having a security and a hope and an identity that the worries of this world could never rob or steal or destroy. For those who come to Jesus, that is our reality. Now let me ask you this Easter, is it your reality? Have you seen the greatness of Jesus and His death in our place? The question for us all is the question that changes eternity and changes your relationship with the God who loves you and made you? Is Jesus your King? Today, as you reflect on what Easter means, as you think through the historical events of Jesus of Nazareth, your eternity and mine depends on our response to Jesus. Will we trust Him that He died in our place? Will we follow Him as our King? Will you let him and the evidence that exists for who he is and what he's done change the way you think about yourself and the world? Because it will change the way God looks at you. It's my prayer this Easter that as you reflect on these things, you find the life Jesus brings. Come and check him out. Don't stand on the sides. Don't muddle around. Come and look at the evidence that exists that Jesus is the King and that he died for you. Let's pray. Father God, today as we look at the events of history, we are amazed that Jesus would die in our place, that He would come and take the penalty for us broken people, that He would deal with the shame that we deserve so we could be forgiven. Help us each to see afresh this Easter, the horror that it is to reject His offer to say that we'll stand on our own two feet, to think that we don't need our sins dealt with and help us to see the amazing love of God the Son that He's offered us life that does not end. We pray this Easter you'd fix our eyes on Jesus afresh and captivate us by Him to see that He is the most important event in human history that we might live for the true King. We pray this in His name. Amen.